Welcome to Living Hope Church. If you have children, kindergarten through third grade, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody for Children's Church. Um, if you have children that are staying in here uh, and they would like, there's activities on that back table that are free to take back to their seat. There's also um, a sermon notes that goes along with the sermon designed for them. Uh, there's a little bingo game on it they can grab and uh, they can fill that out um, as we go. I was thinking about the last two songs we just sang, talk about like all that God has given us and being thankful. Uh, And so often we fail to pause uh, and just give thanks. Uh, But if you were with us last year and we had a 90 degree day, it would be like 85 in here. (laughs) Uh, But last fall, uh, we needed a new furnace and a new air conditioner. We had a company in Evanston actually donate all the labor and the air conditioner and the furnace. And so if you're cold right now, it's because I'm excited. And so I got the air conditioner turned up. Uh, But man, we're just, it's just God has just been so good to us and so faithful to us in our journey. And so I uh, just give you give thanks. Um, so if you haven't been with us recently, we are in the midst of a series that we are calling um, the Exodus. Uh, and in this series, we are looking at God's rescue of his people from Egyptian slavery. And within that, we are seeing how God rescues us from the slavery and bondage and consequences of our sin as well. How God in his grace and mercy exposes our sin and calls us to worship and trust in him. Last week, we were in Exodus chapters 7 and 8, and we saw how God in his mercy used the first two plagues to expose the futility of Pharaoh's false gods and how God exposes the futility of our false gods or our false idols as well. Today, we're going to do the same thing, but we are going to go a little faster today, and we're going to look at the false gods or the false idols in plagues 3 through 6 and what they revealed in the life of the Egyptians and what we can see in our lives as well. Now, last week we talked in depth about this, but our culture is much more similar to Egyptian culture and to Pharaoh than we would believe at first glance. Egypt was a pluralistic culture, meaning they believed there were hundreds of gods who controlled different aspects of their everyday lives. And they believed it was through these gods that they could experience success, that they could experience happiness in the good life. And while we don't bow before little statues on our mantle, We all have idols in our lives that we believe will bring us happiness and make our lives complete. For some of us, it's it's finances. For others, it's family. It's sports. It's worldly possessions. It's success. It's marriage. You fill in the blank for you. And so this is how we define idols around here. We say an idol is something that has taken on ultimate worth. It's the thing you couldn't imagine life being good without it. It, instead of God, becomes your primary security, fulfillment, or identity. An idol is not usually a bad thing, but it's usually a good thing that we have made into a God thing. And so as you think about your life, you can fill in the blank. What is that that you are prone to chase after? You are prone to find your uh, success, your fulfillment, your future in. And what we see in the plagues and often in our lives is that God in his mercy steps into these areas and he reveals the futility or the incompleteness of these pursuits. This is the moment that we achieve the thing we so desire. And we realize it's left us empty. It has left us needing more, feeling the same. And we recognize there's got to be something more to this life. I remember watching a, a 60 Minutes interview with uh, Tom Brady after he won, I don't know, Super Bowl five or six. And he was asking this question. He was saying, is this it? I mean, Tom Brady has it all in the eyes of the world. He's wealthy beyond imagination. He has a supermodel for a wife. He has a beautiful family. And he's a sports superstar. And after winning multiple Super Bowls, he was still restless, still searching for peace and something more. That is God in his grace revealing the futility of this world. 
the futility of our pursuits. And we all have those things that we believe are the secret to happiness in our life. But Jesus says to us that life abundant is only available in him. And so God, through the plagues, is exposing our idols and the idols of this world. And he is calling us to turn or repent and follow after him. The second commonality we have between us and Pharaoh is this belief that we, the individual, are at the center of the universe. And we are the gods of our lives. We said it last week, but we live in a post-truth culture. This is how Oxford defines it. Post-truth is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So Oxford says we in our culture, our feelings, our emotions, our personal beliefs are more important than objective facts. We, not the facts, get to determine what is truth. We are at the center of the universe and we get to decide what is truth for us. This is dangerous, shaky ground that leaves us with no foundation to stand on and makes us God of our lives. We determine truth and not God. And that was Pharaoh. He believed he was a God. He believed he was the master of his own fate. And God is stepping into that space in his mercy and revealing that he alone is God. He alone is worthy to be followed and worshipped. And that he alone is a solid rock in which we can stand. And that's what God's revealing to us as well. He's revealing to us that he alone is God. He alone is the source of truth. That in him alone is abundant life and that in him, in him alone is eternal purpose and eternal life found. But the struggle for you and for I and for Pharaoh is that we live in a culture that believes that there are many ways, many faiths, and that we are the ultimate source of truth. And so the struggle is not that there, that there is a God in this world, but the struggle is that God is truth and that he somehow has authority over my life. We, like Pharaoh, struggle to believe that there is a God more powerful and worthy than us. And we bristle and fight against the idea that we should surrender and follow after him and his ways. In Exodus 5, 2, we talked about it last week, and we talked about it when we were in Exodus 5. Pharaoh asked the question that we all have to answer and wrestle with. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And the plagues are God in his mercy answering that question for Pharaoh and us. And God is revealing himself as greater than the gods of Egypt and greater than the gods of our world today. So last week we saw that God is greater than the, the good life and he was greater than the fruitful life or that, those things we can accomplish in our own power. And in the next four plagues we are going to see that we're going to run through, we're going to see God continue to prove himself as greater. But before we get to the plagues, let's pray. God, Lord, we, we thank you that you are greater. Lord, we thank you that you are truth and that you are worthy and that you are good. So God, I pray that as we, as we study your word today, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in our life where we are prone to wander, where we are prone to chase things that, that won't provide the fulfillment and happiness we desire. And so God, I pray that as you expose those areas, Lord, that we would give those over to you, Lord, and that we would find our truth, that we would find our hope, that we would find our future in you alone. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they have been chasing everything this world has to offer, but they have been left incomplete. God, I pray that you would reveal your hope to them, that you would re reveal your goodness, uh, your steadfastness to them, Lord, that they would repent and find their life and future in you alone. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. 
So we're in Exodus chapter 8, verse 16, and we're going to look at plagues 3 and 4 together. So Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 16, it says, it says Then the Lord... Handheld mic, that's what it is. All right, we're in verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and the animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. So this is significant right here for a couple of reasons. First of all, what an awful experience to have gnats everywhere. Now, other translations translate this word gnats. Others uh, translate it uh, lice, and even others compare it to mosquitoes. Uh, either way, this is an awful pestilence that is everywhere. The other significant thing here is that the pestilence, it says, covers the animals as well. And in Egyptian culture, this made the animals impure and unacceptable to be sacrificed before their gods. So not only do they have this awful plague, but even their worldly uh, religious traditions and solutions, uh, their gods aren't available because of the plague. The animals are impure and cannot be sacrificed. And so God in his mercy, again, is exposing the futility and distant nature of their false gods. Verse 18. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and the animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was, heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So for the first time, the magicians were unable to duplicate the plague. In the first two plagues, they were able to recreate the plagues to some degree. Now, they couldn't make things better, but they appeared uh, to, to others to have the same power. But this time, they could not, and they recognized this is being done by someone more powerful and greater than them and their gods. The magicians themselves recognize that this is the finger of the Lord, the one true God. But it says Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he ignores the warning. He ignores God's mercy and call to repent. That's not good. When God says repent, repent. Verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am, and in, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So we have another pestilence, but for the first time, God distinguishes and spares his people from the plague. God wanted Pharaoh to know that there was something special about the people of Israel, those that followed him. Pharaoh refused to recognize this, so the plagues continued. And this is going to become commonplace in the following plagues. And we're going to spend some time talking about how God sets aside his people for his purposes during plagues 7 through 10. All right, verse 24. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? 
We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So we once again uh, see Pharaoh falsely repent only to harden his heart to God uh, when the plague and the consequences end. This was a clear promise and one that Pharaoh did not live up to. We don't know if Pharaoh deliberately lied to Moses or simply changed his mind once the plague of flies was gone. But many people, as we saw last week, turn to God in a time of, of trouble, a time of calamity. But when things get better, they almost immediately turn their hearts back in hardness to God. Pharaoh is not an unusual example of humility, but he was like many, if not most of us. So he repents, plague stops, and he hardens his heart again. So in these two plagues, we get the, the plagues of pestilence. And when the gnats, lice, mosquitoes, and flies come, the peace in the land is ruined. Now we know this a little bit here in Green River. right? We put up with long, cold, windy winters. And, and we all long for the peace and the warmth and the rest of summertime, right? But what so often comes in the summertime in Green River? The mosquitoes show up, right? There is nothing more maddening to me than trying to relax in the backyard on a beautiful summer night only to be swarmed by mosquitoes. Or we take the kids for a, a bike ride on the green belt only to encounter Mosquitoes. We put up with cold from October to May only to deal with mosquitoes in June, July, and August. And in that moment when the mosquitoes invade your backyard, the comfort, the peace, the tranquility we long for is gone. That's the Egyptians, but magnified to a thousand. And what we see in this plague is that God exposes the false idol of worldly peace. He exposes the false idol of comfort and ease. We all believe that if we just get the new toy or if we get the new job or if we move to the new town or we find that perfect spouse or if we survive the winter, then we will finally experience the peace we desire. But it, all it takes is one swarm of mosquitoes or one small thing to go wrong and our peace is gone. Worldly peace is fleeting. But with God, Paul tells us there is a peace that surpasses our circumstances. Peace that is not found in our situation, but peace that is found in the God of the universe who is the solid rock who always keeps his promises. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says in all circumstances, as Christians, we can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his salvation. Rejoice in his security. He also says in all circumstances, we can pray and communicate with the God of the universe. And when we do, he will guard our hearts with peace that is beyond this world and beyond understanding. Worldly peace is fleeting at best. 
But God's peace is always present and greater than our circumstances. Now, does that mean that all of our problems and trials go away? No. But it means that there is still peace, still hope, still security, still a future because of who God is. We mentioned Tom Brady earlier, but he has achieved it all, but is still looking for more. He is still looking for peace. Peace, the Bible tells us, is only available in a relationship with God. So again, God in his mercy is stepping in and he is revealing the fleeting nature of peace here on earth. He is revealing our need for a savior, our need for forgiveness, our need for hope, our need for peace. Okay, let's look at plague five. We're in uh, chapter nine, verse one now. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. So again, we see God in his grace and his mercy go to Pharaoh and warn him. He says, if you repent, this won't happen tomorrow. He says, if you will repent and let my people go, then this will stop. But his heart was hardened, and the plagues come. And this plague was directed at the goddess Hathor, who was believed to be the mother goddess who took on the form of a cow. And cows were sacred in Egypt. There's an ancient record of a battle that the Egyptians lost because the enemies put a herd of cattle in front of their advancing troops. And the Egyptian soldiers would not shoot because they were afraid that they might accidentally strike the cattle. And so God is proving himself greater than the goddess Hathor. He is proving himself better than the most sacred and most powerful gods in Egyptian culture. And what God is exposing to us here is that he is greater than our sacred cultural idols. Now, in all these plagues, God is proving himself greater than our idols. But here he is proving himself greater than, better than our most sacred of idols. These are the idols that we can hold to in our culture because they are applauded. Now, again, idols are, are often really good things, but when they become God things, they become disastrous for our souls. Those idols we can, we can hold to, uh, uh, um, I'm losing my spot. Exodus 20, here it is. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is this. You shall have no other gods before me. And what we see in this is that when anything becomes more important to us than God, it has become an idol that we must combat and put in its proper place. Now, again, this can be anything in your life, but I'm going to, to step on some toes and highlight four or five of these sacred idols that we are especially prone to in our culture. The first one I think that we have made sacred and we are prone to in our culture is a love of country or a love of a political party. Now, I absolutely believe that we are blessed to live in the greatest country this world has ever known. I am proud and so grateful to be an American. But if our love of country surpasses our love of God, then we have missed it. If our future, our hope, our happiness, our life is more preoccupied with country and politicians 
then we have it out of balance. God is greater. He is more powerful. He is better than even the United States of America. And he is certainly better than any political leader or party. It is God that causes nations to rise and fall. And by his grace, we have been blessed with a great run, but he is greater. Again, it's not bad to love, to vote, to enlist, to fight for our country. But our love of country cannot surpass our love of God. It is God alone that is able to offer us hope, a future, peace, and eternity. Politicians and political parties will fail us, but God is worthy and he is able. Another one of these sacred idols we are prone to, especially in the church, is tradition. As a church plant, uh, we're only five years old, so we only have five years of history. We have less tradition to fall back on, but this will forever be a stumbling block moving forward. It is easy to let traditions, the methods, the style of music, or a past leader become the only way things can be done. And those things and those methods become more important to us than the God we are worshiping. Our hearts are so prone to wander towards idol worship that we have to constantly be on guard that we don't let tradition, the methods, or the people surpass our love and passion for God. Another sacred idol we are prone to elevate above God in our culture is our family, and especially our children. Families and children are, are, are God's greatest gift, and they are a responsibility we have been given. But it is so easy to let our families and our children become the center of our universe as opposed to God. It's so easy to make God one of those things that revolves around the desires of our family as opposed to having our family revolve around him and his truth. Friends, your family, your spouse, and your children are amazing, but they make terrible gods. The greatest thing you can do for your family and for your children is introduce them to the one true God who created them, who loves them, who desires good for them, who longs to save their soul, and who has great plans for their lives. The greatest thing you can do for your marriage is center it on the solid rock that is God as opposed to the fleeting feelings and emotions of this world. Again, there's so many others we can mention here, but the last one I will mention is the one we talked about a lot over the last two weeks, and that is the sacred idol of the individual. The gospel calls us to submit our lives, our authority, our desires, our feelings, and our emotions to him. We cannot elevate ourselves above God. We are called to submit and follow him. And this has to be a moment-by-moment submission that is only possible as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives because we, by nature, are incredibly selfish and self-centered people. This is a task that we are going to fail at daily. But we at our core and in our hearts must know that God is our source of truth. He is our rock. He is our authority and not us and our feelings and our personal truth. Again, we can throw so many other things out there. But as you think about your life, what is the thing that you have made sacred that usurps God in your life? It could be one of those things. It could be a hobby. It could be a sports team. It could be your finances. It could be your job. It could be your future. Whatever it is, God is stepping in and he is telling you and he is telling me that he is greater, he is better, and he is worthy. All right, let's look at Plague 6. We're in chapter 9, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. 
It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Well, this might be the worst plague yet. Have you ever, have you ever seen a picture of someone with a boil on them? Right? They look awful and so, so incredibly painful. Like, hopefully that's one of those things we never have to experience. And then look at this. It says the boils were on the magicians and so painful they could not even come before Pharaoh. And God in his mercy is proving to Pharaoh, to the magicians, and to the Egyptian people that he is so much greater than their gods. He is so much greater than the ways of the Egyptians. He is stepping in and proving that he is worthy to be worshipped and followed. And yet it says they won't repent and turn to him. In fact, here it says that the, the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart. And that's a phrase that can be confusing. We've seen a few times the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Here's what the great preacher W.A. Criswell had to say about this statement. He said, God left Pharaoh to his own chosen course. And that course went from evil to evil to harder to harder to fouler, fouler sin. The Lord left him to his own choice. And in the permissive will of God, a man can say no to God, no to God, no to God, until finally he becomes a negation himself. Just to look at him is a no. Just to ask him is a no. Just to watch him is a no. He continues, evil is always progressive. It's like a cancer. It's a, a rare thing that a cancer stays in just the little mole or the little cell. Its nature is to spread, to grow, to expand, to consume. He says evil is a leprosy. It's a disease. It's a cancer. It has inherently in it the tendency to spread, to harden, to do worse and worse. He says that's a permissive will of God to let us choose evil. And when Pharaoh said no, 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 he became that very negation itself, hardened to it. And that is what it meant when it says God hardened his heart. That is in the permissive will of God, he went from hardness to more hardness, from darkness to more darkness, from evil to more evil, until he, find, until he became the embodiment of that negation before God. He sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. All right, let's look at this plague. This plague is directed against the Egyptian god Imhotep, who is said to be the god of medicine and health. And we see in this plague that those closest to the gods, the magicians, couldn't even help themselves. And in this God, and in this God is exposing the, the false idol of the, the physical or of health or, or of modern medicine. Now, I'm so grateful to live in the 20th, 21st century, and I, I'm so thankful for the medical advancements that we experience today. You just think about the simple things that we take for granted. I have terrible eyesight. My, my prescription is minus 4.75, whatever that means. All I know is that without glasses or contacts, I can't see anything. And I don't know how I could have possibly done life 2,000 years ago or even 200 years ago. I can't see or do anything without my glasses. Or when I was a freshman in high school, my, my appendix got infected. I had to have an emergency appendectomy. Right? These days, that's not a problem at all. I had surgery and I was playing baseball in less than a week. 
If that happens 100, 150 years ago, I'm a dead person. Simple today, deadly back then. I think about my wife or my dad who had cancer at a young age but are, are living today. I'm so incredibly thankful for modern medicine. But we have a temptation as a society and individuals to believe that if we monitor our food intake, if we monitor our exercise, if we see the doctor every three months, then we are invincible. I read an article just this week that said those born in the last 10 years may be the first immortal generation. Right? We begin to believe that if we can control everything just right, then we can fix all of our problems. We can have happiness and we can live forever. And our health or the physical can quickly become our God, our source of happiness, purpose, and peace. Right? You just turn on Fox News or TV Land or any channel that's kind of, uh, kind of uh, skews towards that older demographic. And it's chock full with infomercials and these magical vitamins that are going to solve all of your health problems. You turn on channels that are targeted towards a younger audience. And they're going to constantly pushing the next great diet or workout plan that's going to change your life and provide happiness. Now, again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking care of your body. In fact, the Bible tells us our body is the temple, and we are to take seriously the health and well-being of our physical body. It is good to eat right. It is good to exercise. It is good to go to the doctor. Those things are good, but they can't be our source of security, our source of happiness, our hope for the future. I hate to sound like a downer, but you can eat all the right foods. You can exercise two, three, four hours a day. You can have a six-pack into your 90s. But contrary to that article, we're all going to one day die and give an account for our lives. So there has to be more than the physical. And this plague is God in his mercy revealing the fleeting, fleeting nature of our physical bodies. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, Our outer body is wasting away, but in Jesus our souls, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul says our souls day by day are preparing for the eternity they were, they were created for. Our bodies are a daily reminder that they, that they and this earth are temporary and we are made for something more. If the physical, if our health and well-being is our God, if that's where we find our, identi our identity and happiness, then it's a losing battle. Right? I'm now 36 and I feel this every time I try and do anything. I played softball the other day. And I could barely walk the next day. Right? I played collegiate baseball and rarely was even sore. But now I play slow-pitch softball, which I affectionately tell my kids is grown-up t-ball. And I can't walk the next day. My body is failing. My abilities are disappearing. There has to be something more, a hope beyond this. And those moments where we feel that are God and his mercy reminding us and reminding me of my limitations and the hope that I have in him. Nobody's immune to the effects of age. Even the greatest athletes ever are forced to retire because of age. And when they retire, most of them look more like you and I than the great athletes they once were. We are called to take care of our bodies, but we cannot place our hope in the physical. Don't place your hope alone in your health because it is fleeting. It is but a vapor, the Bible says. But instead, place your hope in God who is eternal who alone is powerful and alone is worthy. So what do we do when God reveals our idols? What do we do when we recognize our hope is in something other than God? What do we do when we realize that we are trusting in ourselves as God instead of trusting in the one true God? 
do we do when we find ourselves seeking answers in the world as opposed to him? So what do we do? We pray, we repent, and we turn from whatever is tempting us to become our own God, and we trust God with our lives. Plagues 7, 8, and 9, and 10 are coming, and the warnings are only going to get more severe as God in his mercy reveals himself to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, the Hebrew people, and you and I. But for today, we're going to end here at the sixth plague. In just a moment, we're going to take some time and going to reflect on the mercy God has shown us. And as you reflect, I want you to think about what are the idols in your life? If you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm a, I don't have any idols, I'm immune to this, I would guess you're lying to yourself. We all have things in our life that we believe are going to make us happy, complete, satisfied, and at peace. But all of those things, the Bible tells us, are temporary, and they're going to leave us empty and looking for more. So what are those things for you? Or maybe you're here, and you feel like you are living in the plagues today. Perhaps God in his mercy has stepped into your life, and he has revealed the futility of those things you pursue, and you are hurting, and you are devastated. First of all, I'm sorry that you are hurting. The hurt and the pain is real, but please know that God is greater, that he is good, that he is worthy of your trust. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you would allow that pain to lead you to him. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. It's one you probably know. And in this story, the son believes that happiness is not found in his father's home, but it is instead found in worldly pleasures. And so he takes all of his inheritance and he goes to a foreign land and he squanders it on all that the world has to offer. The son goes and he lives it up. But eventually he runs out of money and he's left with nothing. And in that moment, in the pain, as he is sleeping with and feeding the pigs as a hired servant, he recognizes the futility of his pursuits. In that moment, he hits rock bottom and he has nowhere to go. His life is hopeless, it is full of pain, it is full of sadness, it is full of hurt. And he thinks to himself in that moment, my father's servants have it better than this. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to beg to be a hired hand. The prodigal son allows the hurt, the disappointment, the mercy of God to lead him back home. And Jesus says when the son returns to the father, he's not met with ridicule. He's not met with condemnation. He's not met with punishment. He's not turned away, but Jesus says the father was looking for him. And when he saw him, he ran to him and he threw his arms around his son. He celebrated the return of his son with forgiveness and he restored him to a position as son. In the same way, Jesus says when we return to God, we are not met with condemnation. But instead, we are met with love, forgiveness, and we are made a son or daughter of the king. And so if you are here today and God has revealed the futility of your pursuits, he waits for you with open arms. Would you return to him for the first time or the hundredth time? He waits for you. He waits for you with love, forgiveness, and grace. Friends, what this, the plagues reveal to us is that the world's going to fail us. People will fail us, but God never will. And so if he's revealing that in your life, would you return to him? today. You can do that in your seat today, or you can come and talk with me, but you can pray. If you want to follow him for the first time, you can pray with a surrendered heart, something as simple as this. God, I have gone my own way. I have pursued things as opposed to you. I have sinned against you, but God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die the death my sins deserve, and I believe he rose victorious over the grave and offers abundant eternal life to me. 
God, please forgive me of my sins. I want to surrender and I want to follow after you in your ways. I want to experience your life, your peace, and I want you to be the Lord, the, the boss of my life. God, I want to follow you. The Bible says you pray something like that with a surrendered heart, you will be forgiven. You will be accepted by God and you will experience his forgiveness, his life, his grace, his eternal future in heaven. So if God in his mercy has revealed your sin, your, your futile search for happiness, peace, and satisfaction, would you allow it like the prodigal son to return you to God as opposed to hardening your heart like Pharaoh? Then lastly, if you're here and you're a follower of God, what are the areas of life that you have went your own way and pursued your own desires as opposed to his? As God reveals those, would you return uh, to him today? Would you turn those over to him? So he said last week, God desires, not to be, God desires to be the God of your life, not just the God of your Sundays. He is better than that, and he is worthy to be Lord over every area, not just some. Would you surrender and trust him with whatever it is you are controlling, worshiping, and idolizing? I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, we're just going to take a second just to keep our heads bowed and pray to ourselves, and then I will close us in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you. Uh, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for those times in our lives where you have stepped in and you have revealed our need for you. And God, I pray for, for myself and I pray for everyone here. Lord, I pray that you would reveal those areas where we have wandered in our lives. God, would you, that you would reveal those areas that we are searching for happiness, that we are searching for, for peace, that we are searching for a future in. Those areas that, that we are searching, not in you, but we are searching elsewhere, Lord, and we are going to leave disappointed. God, would you reveal those areas and allow us to turn them over to you? That you would help us to, to keep our life and in in the areas of our lives and the idols of our lives in proper perspective. God, that we would center our lives around you and not the things of this world. So, God, I pray that you would clearly reveal those areas to us today, Lord, and you would give us the courage to repent and turn to you. Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that we would find our hope in you. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, hasn't experienced your grace and your love for the first time, that they would allow the difficulties and the, the, the struggles and the hurts of this life to turn them to you. That in you, Lord, they would find peace that surpasses their circumstances. So God, I pray that over the next minute or two, Lord, you would speak to us. You would reveal those areas, Lord, and you would call us to you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
God, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you are true. Lord, we thank you that you are eternal. God, and we thank you that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would call us to deeper trust uh, this week. Lord, that you would continue to expose uh, those idols in our lives, Lord. That you would give us the courage to trust you, Lord. That you would soften our hearts towards you. God, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for being here this morning. Um, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card. That's what we call these. Welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in that box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. Uh, that's also where you can place your uh, tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, and then we got a few announcements. Uh, we have the LaBarge VBS. That's where we're taking a trip to LaBarge to help them with VBS June 28th to the 29th. Uh, if you are uh, coming to help us with that and serve with that, we have a meeting today here at the church um, at 3 o'clock. Uh, if you can't make it to that, uh, come let me know or, or let Melody know down in the children's area, and she will get you the information. But uh, we'd love for you to come and, and be there today as we go over uh, the plan and schedule for that. Um, we have RVBS will be August 1st to 4th here at the church. If you're interested in helping with that and have not talked with Melody, uh, please do. Uh, we have kids camp and youth camp on Casper Mountain. Those dates and costs are on the back of your uh, sermon notes. Uh, if you have questions about those, come and talk with me. If you need a registration form, I've got those. Uh, come and see me for those as well. Uh, and then lastly, uh, there will be no youth group this week. We are going to resume in the fall. We gave it a run for the summer, but, uh, you know, it's how summer works in Wyoming. So uh, we're going to have some occasional events uh, throughout the summer that we'll keep you posted on. Uh, but if you've got questions about that, you can come talk to me as well. Thank you so much for being here uh, today. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are uh, dismissed.